Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We're going to continue our worship in Mark chapter 2, if you want to turn there as we prepare our hearts. So we're going to do Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And of course, our lesson, our title is, It's a Mismatch. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for those who are here right now in this building, worshiping um, in person. We thank you for those who are watching live right now. And even those who may be listening on audio When this service is over, we thank you for them, Lord. We pray that you meet all of our needs. We pray that we'll have open and receptive hearts to what you desire to do in and through us. I pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. We give the rest of this night to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. So, definition of mismatch. Now, mismatch is a faulty or unsuitable match. In other words, it is a bad match or something that, of course, was not correctly paired. And a mismatch usually looks bad, feels bad, or just somehow turns out badly. Like if there is a mismatch in a a sport contest football team or maybe a boxing match one dude way bigger than the other one that's just it's just going to turn out badly now some people may have mismatched socks some people do that on purpose believe it or not I didn't do it on purpose one day as a grown man I left the house one day with mismatched socks and it just looked bad and I was so embarrassed thank God I had on long pants I, I pretty much always wear long pants but They just don't look good. Just feels so bad. Just feels wrong. And then, of course, people who have worn mismatched shoes, that's even worse. I don't know how that would happen. Oh, yes, I do. My my son and I, we have one of my sons and I, we have the same flip-flops. And I think we had, um, I think he had one of mine and I had one of his. So that happens sometimes. But they at least kind of looked alike. But how about being in a group or how about being with a partner and you have mismatched priorities spiritually? As a matter of fact, what is the result of having mismatched priorities, goals, and expectations with God and his ways? And that's what we're going to find out in this study. Because we know that the results, of course, could be devastating. When our expectations, our priorities and goals, they do not align with God's priorities, expectations and goals for us. And so to dive into our study tonight, we want to start with verse 13 in Mark chapter 2. Now, Jesus had recently forgave a paralyzed man and he healed this man as well and so we want to keep that in mind as we continue with verse 13 
Because it says, then he went out again by the sea. So this is, of course, the Sea of Galilee. And the multitude, this large group of people came to him and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, also known as Matthew, the guy God used to write one of the gospel accounts, that same Matthew. And so he saw him, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. He was in his tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So Luke 5.28 tells us that he left all. And he arose and followed Jesus. So obviously Levi or Matthew was a tax collector. And he collected taxes for the Roman government. And the Romans would put taxes on the land, goods that were produced and sold in the region. And they also taxed products that were sold. And Roman officials during that time in the New Testament time, They sold the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder, to the person who had the highest bid. And so that person who won the bid, they, of course, would have that right to collect to collect taxes in that area. And they were called the chief publican. And then they would in turn hire other tax collectors and they would collect taxes for them because that person that 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 tax commissioner who won that bid they would have to submit a certain amount of money to the roman empire and so if they hired enough tax collectors then of course they would they would meet the requirement that they had made or that they had with the roman government now additionally these tax collectors were jews they were usually jews and And they, of course, were hated by their fellow countrymen because they saw them as traitors. They were helping out the oppressors, the the Roman Empire. So they were hated by them. And they were also seen as corrupt people because they would even charge the people above the amount that was required by the Roman Empire. And they did that because they were able to keep the extra money. And so these folks, these tax collectors, they, they, they kept their pockets padded. They, they were well off. They, were, they could be pretty wealthy from doing this, pretty much from cheating people. But we see in our lesson tonight that there is one tax collector named Levi called by Jesus, and he left everything and followed our Savior. Now, not only did he leave his job, but He also left some other things in that tax booth. And what are some of the things that he left? Well, first of all, he left not just the tax booth, not just his job, but he he left the worship of money. He left the worship of riches, as it tells us in the scriptures. It tells us in Matthew 6, 24, that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and riches. And so in following Jesus and leaving the tax booth, he also left his God with the little g. He left riches. And in leaving the worship of money and leaving the worship of riches, 
What he also left was all kinds of evil, as it tells us in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. I'm only going to read the first half of verse 10. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. See, for Levi and many other tax collectors and chief publicans, that love of money that they had, that worship of money they had led them to try to take advantage of people. And they did, of course, take advantage of people. They, they cheated them. Another thing that he left within that tax booth was being a part of the Jews' problem. He wasn't a part of the solution. He was a part of their problem. He already had a problem with the Roman Empire being oppressed, and now he was a part of it, being a traitor. And so he left that behind. He left temporary satisfaction behind. He left that behind, and he picked up eternal satisfaction. Eternal satisfaction in Christ. And the question I have for you is, what have you left behind when you started to follow Jesus? Because there's some who have claimed to have started following Jesus. They claim to have left that old life behind and, and followed our Lord, but they still identify themselves with the same old lifestyle. And so people who used to be an atheist, you cannot call yourself an atheist Christian. It doesn't make sense. You, you used to be a murderer. You can't call yourself, hey, I'm a murderer Christian. If you were living a homosexual lifestyle before Christ or before you claim to have received Christ, you can't call yourself a gay Christian. That's because those are two separate lifestyles and they do not mix. Because the word of God says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So there is no such thing as fill in the blank, that old lifestyle, and then claim to be a Christian at the same time. It just does not mix, and that's the word of God. So if you're offended, be offended with your creator. And he included this in the word because he loves us. And the scriptures also refers to the love of the truth. And that's what we see here. And so for people who claim to have a title or to identify with the old lifestyle and then claim to be a new person in Christ, to be a follower of Christ, claiming two lifestyles, I'm going to tell you something. The devil is lying to you. It's a straight up lie. Don't allow him to do that. Instead, uh, fall upon the truth of the word of God. Because if you don't, then you're going to always be stuck being the old you. In verses 15 through 17, we're still in Mark chapter 2. It says, now it happened as he was dining. And as he was dining, he was reclining at, at a low table. And, and that at that time was the posture uh, for people at a formal uh, banquet or dinner party. And so he's at this great feast at Levi's house, at Matthew's house. And the scriptures tell us that many tax collectors like Levi and, and, and sinners, they, they were there with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they, they said 
to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician or doctor, but those who are sick. Matthew 9, 13 fills in the blank for us. It says that Jesus also added, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and that's not sacrifice. I desire, in other words, faithful love and loyalty and not sacrifice. So I know you're good with doing some things externally, doing some religious things, some religious rites. I know you're good with that, God is saying in that Old Testament scripture in Hosea 6, 6. I know you're good with those things, but, but people missed out on what really matters. He desires mercy, faithful love, loyalty, and not just outward actions. So Jesus adds that line there in Matthew 9, 13. Then it continues in, in Mark 2, 17. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Matthew, this tax collector, he appreciated Jesus and, and he did not want to keep Jesus to himself. So the reminder for us is that we can pull from this is that Jesus is too big for us. He is too good just for us. We cannot be and shouldn't be selfish with Jesus. Jesus is for anybody who will receive him, who will receive the work that he's done on all of our behalf. And so Matthew knew that he appreciated him and he invited him to this great feast. He put it on for him. And then, of course, he invited some friends, some other tax collectors and sinners. But then you had the religious leaders there. You had the Pharisees and you had the scribes there. And they were so shocked that Jesus was eating with sinners, that he was eating with these traitors, these tax collectors, these, these cheaters. And that's because in, in their view, eating at the same table with people was a sign of friendship and relationship. So what are you doing, Jesus, these, these religious leaders were thinking? But we need to know that Jesus did not hang with sinners just for the fun of it. You know, like a doctor who focuses his or her time mostly on the sick, mostly on those who are not healthy, in that same way, Jesus focused on those who were not healthy spiritually. He, he focused more on those who were spiritually sick with that terminal disease of sin, that, that disease that, that leads to death. And, and that's awesome that he focused on sinners. And this brings us to a scripture in 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 15, it says, This is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then the Apostle Paul says, Of whom I am chief. I'm the worst of sinners. But, but praise God that Jesus, our great physician, our great doctor, he came and he, and he focused on sinners. He focused on those who are, are spiritually dead. Those spiritually sick. And what we see here is him setting a pattern for those of us who are believers, those of us who've repented and we put our faith in Christ. He set an example for us. 
And how we should be available to those who are lost in their sins. And if they were to die in that state, they're going to be eternally lost, eternally separated from God. So he sets this pattern for us that, that, hey, we don't do what they do. We don't practice the same sins that they practice. But we make ourselves available to them. No, we are not the physician. We are not the doctor that Jesus is, but we introduce them to the great physician who can heal them of their spiritual sickness. So he sets that pattern for us. And these scribes, these teachers of the law and the the Pharisees, they were sick too. They just didn't realize it. And that's because they were self-righteous and in of themselves, they thought they were good with God. Well, I'm a religious leader. I know the law. I have the law. I'm physically related to to Abraham. I must be good. I'm a part of the nation of Israel. I'm, I'm okay with God. I don't do this or that outwardly. They were self-righteous. And this self-righteousness explains their response that we see in verse 16. And like the Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders, there there are some people today who are self-righteous. They don't realize that that they're in the same boat, or at least we used to be in the same boat as, as people whose sins are laid out before the whole world. As those who commit blatant sin, we're just as much sinners as they are. It may not be seen in the open, but they're sins of the heart. For example, like lust and, and hate. Like those things are in some of our hearts. And so they didn't realize that they were in the same boat as those same sinners and tax collectors that were sitting and eating with Jesus. And so the advice to those who are self-righteous is, is to get out of Jesus' way and let them tend to the sick. But they were getting in Jesus' way here. In verses 18 through 20, we're still in Mark chapter 2. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. And so they gave up eating and, and drinking for spiritual purposes for a time. Then they, that is some people, you know, Mark 9, 14 says the disciples of John actually came to Jesus. Says, why do the disciples of John, why do we and the Pharisees fast, abstain from food and abstain from drinking? Why do, why do we do that? But your followers, Jesus, do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the friends, can the wedding guests of the bridegroom fast? Matthew nine fifteen says, mourn while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. I'm with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Now, maybe the disciples of John the Baptist fasted because the ministry of John the Baptist focused on repentance. And then, of course, based on Luke chapter 18, verse 12, it would appear that the Pharisees would would often fast twice a week. And they made it a ritualistic thing. 
got away from the true purpose of it. It became ritualistic. And Matthew 6.16 would, would indicate that, that many religious people at the time, like the Pharisees, were in fact hypocritical in their fasting. And you can read it there, and I'll read it for you. It says, moreover, when you fast, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. When you fast, and so as a believer, it's okay to fast. But at that time that, that the disciples of John or the people approached Jesus, he said, no, it's not appropriate right now. How can they mourn? I'm with them. The bridegroom is here. So when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, with a sad expression on your face, because what they do is disfigure their faces. They, they make it look uh, painful and awkward so that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, Jesus said, I said to you, they have their reward and they have their reward from men. And so they wanted to impress men. They got what they deserve. That's their reward. So they can't expect a reward from God. So don't fast like the hypocrites. And so many of these Pharisees were, were doing that. And then, of course, we see Jesus' answer. He answered their question first off with a question. And then told them that, hey, my disciples can't fast while the bridegroom is with them, while I'm with them. And and being with the bridegroom, like at a wedding feast, it was a, it was a time of rejoicing. It wasn't a time for mourning is what he was saying. And he was saying that because sometimes uh, fasting was done in a time of mourning in the Bible. Sometimes it was done in a time of repentance. And so being with Jesus, he's saying, this is a celebration time. This is a joyous occasion. They are with me. My followers are with me. But then there's the question, well, if Jesus is the bridegroom, who is the bride of Christ? And the Holy Spirit, of course, through the apostle Paul in one of these scriptures in 2 Corinthians eleven two, it says, for I am jealous for you with the godly jealousy for I have betrothed you I promised you in marriage he's saying to the Corinthians the Corinthian church "I, I promised you in marriage to one husband of course that's Christ that I may present you as a chaste or pure virgin to Christ so the apostle Paul was jealous for them the godly jealousy because look you belong to Jesus don't stray away from him. Don't, don't cheat on him. Jealous for you with the godly jealousy. And so the church is the bride of Christ. And of course, marriage between a man and woman is a visible representation of that relationship between Jesus and his church. And so when we mistreat the church, we are mistreating the bride of Christ. And so man and woman in a marriage relationship, again, a representation of Christ and the believers. And so it's no wonder that the enemy will want to destroy that with unbiblical and sinful laws. Will want to destroy whatever God created. It's no wonder that he wants to destroy what it represents. 
And that's one reason I believe that, that God didn't allow Moses to enter into the promised land. And here's the example that I'm going to give you. Remember, there was the first time God told him to strike the rock. And to strike the rock so that water would come out for the children of Israel. But then the, another time when, when the Israelites were thirsty in the wilderness. Remember, they had just come out of Egypt. Now, instead of hitting the rock again to bring water out of the rock for them, God told Moses to speak to it. And so just like the devil will try to mess up the representation of marriage that God created, which represents the relationship between the church and Christ, Moses messed up the representation or the picture that God was trying to paint. So not only did he misrepresent God, not only did he disobey God in striking that rock that second time in that second instance to bring out water, but he messed up the picture because we see that 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 rock is a type of Christ. It was a representation of Christ. And so the picture that God was painting that Moses messed up at the time was that Jesus was only going to be struck once. He was only going to come and die for sin one time. But that was it. You didn't have to strike him again. He's not going to be stricken again. In fact, he's going to come back as a conquering king, as a lion from the tribe of Judah. And he's going to reign on this earth. So all we need to do to the rock the second time, because he's not going to be struck again, is to speak to the rock and ask him to come into our lives. And so just like the devil would want to mess up this picture, this representation of marriage, because it represents Christ in the church, that relationship, Moses did that. And that's an example that I wanted to throw out to you. As an example of how people or the enemy would try to mess up what God is trying to give us a picture of. But now, although Jesus did not require his disciples to fast while he was on earth before the crucifixion. Of course, as believers, it's something that we do occasionally. There are even examples of of believers fasting in the book of Acts. So Jesus isn't saying here in these scriptures that there's something wrong with fasting. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he left us some instructions about when we do fast. And so for this, we're going we're gonna to stick to Matthew chapter 6 for a couple of verses, verses 17 and 18, where it says, But you, Jesus speaking to his disciples, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Remember the hypocrites, the Pharisees, they distorted their faces to appear to be fasting, to get a pat on the back from man. But believers, when we fast, that's not what we do. We pray, we fast to our father in secret. And so if we have to wash our face and anoint our head to get refreshed so that we look like we're really not fasting, although God knows we are, then we need to do what we have to do, but, but don't, uh, don't just distort your face or look disheveled so that you can get some congratulations from men. See, that's not what we're to do, but instead, whatever we do, we do it unto God. And the God who sees us do these things secretly, he's going to reward us openly. Verses 21 and 22, it says, as he continues that point, 
Remember, they ask him, how come your disciples are not fasting, but the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees are fasting? They're they're continuing with with this duty. They're continuing with this fasting in a ritualistic manner. And so he continues to now give an illustration. He gives a parable. He says in Mark chapter 2, verse 21, he says, No one sews a piece or a patch of unshrunk cloth or new garment on an old garment, or else the new piece will pull away from the old and, and the tear is going to be made worse. Luke 5, 36 also adds this, And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. So not only will that new or unshrunk cloth tear that old garment even more, but there's going to be a mismatch. It won't even match. It won't even look good. And in verse 22, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. And so wineskins at that time were, were made from animal skins. And if they were new, they were elastic. They could stretch. And it says no one does that or else the new, the new wine, the, the, the wine that's fermenting, it's going to expand and burst the wineskins. If you put the new wine in old wineskins, animal skins that are brittle and crusty, it's going to expand. It's going to burst it. And then the wine is spilled. And it says, and the wineskins are ruined. But this is what's supposed to happen, Jesus is saying in this parable, in this illustration. He says, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. There's not supposed to be a mismatch, in other words. Matthew 9, 17 adds, and both are preserved. If the new wine goes into new wineskins, the new wineskin is elastic. It can stretch. And that's going to be preserved along with the new wine. As it ferments and the gas is expanded. Luke 539 says this, and no one, no one having drunk old wine immediately desires the new because that person will say the old is better. And so those who asked Jesus the question about why his disciples did not fast like the Pharisees or or, or like the disciples of John the Baptist. They were basically asking Jesus and his disciples, how come you're not being like us? How come you're not fitting into our wineskins? That's what they were asking Jesus. How come you guys are not fitting into our wineskins? And so in those two parables Jesus shared with them, what he's telling them is that he didn't come to put a patch On the Old Testament. He didn't come to patch up what we have in our scriptures as an Old Testament. That old way of doing things. That old way of relating to God. He didn't come to patch up the shadow, in other words. He didn't come to patch up the traditions of men. What he's saying in his illustrations is that he was not trying to make the new work that he came to do fit into the wineskin of their old belief system of the shadow. There's a new way of doing things. He was coming to bring fulfillment to the old. 
He came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law through his obedience. He never broke the law. He lived the perfect life. He didn't sin not once. So through his obedience, he fulfilled the law. That's what he came to do. Not to put a patch on it. Not to put the new wine, what he was, the new thing he came to do into old wineskins of Judaism. That's not what he came to do. He fulfilled the law by also explaining it more fully because they only looked at it in 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 an external way. If they were not doing something externally, physically, then they were okay. But Jesus showed them the, the, the reality that there is a such thing called the sin of the heart. A person could commit adultery just by lusting after another woman and vice versa. And so he fulfilled it by explaining it more fully as well. And then, of course, by taking the penalty for us, for breaking the law. And so he came to fulfill, not to patch up, not to put it in the old container or or the old wineskin of the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the sacrifices that anticipated his death, that anticipated his sacrifice on the cross. He came to fulfill all of those sin offerings and the burnt offerings and all those things. He came to fulfill the prophecies, not to put a new thing into an old, not to patch it up. He came to establish what we call the New Testament, the the new covenant. And this new covenant, of course, was put into effect by the shedding of his blood. And so the Old Testament had had served this purpose, wasn't come to patch it up. He wanted to do a whole new thing. And this New Testament that he set into effect by the shedding of his blood, it is not based on the faithfulness of man because that failed. Man had failed to completely follow the law. You break one, you you broke them all. And so that's how it works. If you have a chain tied to the end of a rock and you're using that chain to pull yourself up on, it doesn't matter if you, it it doesn't matter if the second chain link breaks, you're going to fall. It doesn't matter if the fourth chain link breaks, you're still going to fall. Or how about the 10th commandment, the the 10th chain link? If that breaks, you're still going to fall. And so either way, if if a person breaks the law, they're guilty of them all. There's no way to, to live a perfect life. And so we all fall short of the glory of God. And so the faithfulness of man in keeping the law did not work. And keeping the Old Testament sacrifice after sacrifice on a yearly basis, the day of atonement. Well, their sins were atoned for on a yearly basis. The priest would go into that, that last part of the room in the, in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was yearly for the atonement of their sins, for the covering of the sins of the people. And also the high priest would do it for himself and his household. But that didn't work based on the faithfulness of man, but the New Testament is established and based on the faithfulness of God. In other words, God did the work. We just trust in him. It's based on the faithfulness of God. He came to establish a New Testament where our sins are dealt with once and for all. 
He came to establish a New Testament where now the law is written in our hearts, not externally. Now God does a work within us through his Holy Spirit and helps us to obey, helps us to live the life God wants us to live. And so that law now is written in our hearts. It goes from external to internal. That's what happened in the New Testament. That's what he came to establish something new, not patch up the old. So praise God for the Holy Spirit who indwells us and he helps us. But there's people who would ask that same question to believers today that John the Baptist or or those people or those disciples or whoever they were asked Jesus. How come your people aren't doing what we doing? And so some people of other religions may look at us as believers, as Christians. How come you're not doing what we're doing? How come you're not um, fasting the same amount of days that we're doing? How come you're not going to the same temple that we're going to? Well, that's because we're, we're in Christ and he came to do a new thing. and He has done a new thing within us. We're not trying to fit into anything else. We're not trying to fit into anybody else's wine bottle, in other words, or wine skin. We came to fit into the new wine skin of, of Christianity that, that Jesus created. That new lifestyle he wants us to live. That's what we're trying to fit into. See, God is doing a new thing. There's no more sacrifices. There's no more priests. There's there's no more temple. In fact, going back to the priest, Jesus is our high priest. If you're questioning that, look in Hebrews. the The letter to the Hebrews. Jesus is the fulfillment of the priesthood. He's our eternal priest. He's doing a new thing. He's not focusing on the external, focusing on the inside of us. These people need a changed heart. They they don't need a a, a life that just looks good on the outside. No, they need to be cleaned up from the inside out. Can you imagine you're preparing fish? You just went fishing. You brought some fish home. And all you do is take the scales off the outside, throw it in the frying pan and put it on somebody's plate. But you never clean the inside of it. There's mess in there. And so God in the, in the New Testament is doing a new thing. He's, he's cleaning us up from the inside out. And so Jesus' illustrations show us that, that when we try to mix Jesus and his work with legalism, when we try to mix Jesus and his work in our old belief system, in our old philosophies, in the traditions of men, which didn't work for us anyway, there's going to be some disasters. In other words, when we try to mix the, the way of Jesus and, 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 and him and himself in, in the old, our old way, our old way of thinking, some things are going to be torn up. It's going to be made worse. The, the, the blessings of the New Testament, the blessings that we have in Christ are going to be spilled and we're never going to be able to enjoy it. The old wineskins that we're trying to fit in Christianity in that we try to put Jesus in, that's going to be ripped up. It's going to explode. So all those blessings, the new wine, so to speak, in Christ is going to get wasted. And we're not going to enjoy Christ, our life in Christ the way we should by trying to mix in the new that Christ brings with our old philosophy. In fact, we make more of a mess and it results in confusion. That's how you come up with cults. 
because you're trying to mix Christianity. You're trying to mix Jesus and his way into this new philosophy, into some old pagan religion. And you come up with a cult. You make a mess. You come up with contradictions everywhere. But the new way is to be put into new wineskins or into a new wineskin, the one Jesus created. What Jesus meant for the new way to be put in, there is nothing like it. And so we need to keep things the way Jesus intended them to be in Christianity as believers. And so he wants us to walk by faith, for example, and not by sight. He wants us to have a faith walk, not just try to work our way into heaven. Don't fit that old way into what Jesus is trying to do. He wants us to understand that all the blessings we have, all who we, who we are, all he says we are in Christ, it's because of grace, not because of works. So we want to keep it in grace. We want to continue to walk by faith and not by sight because that's his way. Keep it in a new wineskin. And so the, the, the question that I want to pose to all of us tonight, even those of you on Facebook Live, is what new thing is God trying to do right now? What is he trying to do in the church? What new thing is he trying to do in the, in the big C church? What new thing is he trying to do, is God trying to do in the local church? And I'm not talking about... Uh, changing the word of God. I'm not talking about changing any doctrine. I'm not talking about changing what God considers moral. I'm not talking about doing anything that would take attention away from God, but but maybe there's something that God wants us to do right now, and it's a fresh new thing. It It is new wine that God wants to spill out from the church in a good way. And maybe as a church, maybe we're trying to fit it into old wineskins. Oh, well, we always did it this way. Well, how about me, myself? Well, I always printed paper bulletins, so maybe I shouldn't just put them online. Well, maybe we have, some of us have that type of thinking when God is trying to move in a certain way, in a fresh new way within the church to, to, to help us to be more effective in our community and effective in, in witnessing and, and effective in ministering to others in the body of Christ. Maybe we are stifling his work by not being open to the work he wants to do in and through us. And again, God will never contradict his word. So that is not where I'm going. So don't take that out of context. But we need to be flexible. We need to allow him to flow in us and through us. What new thing is he trying to do? Or are we trying to mismatch his, his new way, that, what he's trying to do right now with the old? See, God knows how to reach every generation and, and every person who's, who's, who's open to receiving him. He knows how to reach them. You know, we didn't used to do live stream, but we have to be open to that, to that new work that God wants us to do to reach more people for Christ. What new work is God trying to do in our families? Well, we always did it this way in our families. We, we always did it on this date. We always did it this way. I always spoke this way. We've always sounded rude to one another. And so we're used to it. Now, what, what new work is he trying to do in our families? We, we always had devotions on, on Tuesday night. And so I don't feel like moving it to a Saturday. 
Oh, we always just had our small group, just the five of us in this house. We don't want to extend it to other family members. We don't want to extend it to cousins and and aunts and uncles. In fact, we don't even want to extend our family study to neighbors. But maybe that's what God is wanting us to do right now. So what new work is God trying to do in our families? What, what, What work is he trying to do in our personal lives right now? Or do we have that same old wine skin? That old same mindset. Well, well, I'm, I'm, this is how I'm going to be. I'm, I'm never going to get better. But the ministry God gave you is it's not going to reach those people. God, no, that sounds crazy, God. What new work is God trying to do in your personal lives? As the worship team comes up. See, when God is, is leading us to go in a different direction, do we have the attitude of, well, we, we, we always did it this way? Do, do we have the, the attitude of, well, we always have this event at this time? Or we always have this same speaker? Or we always have this same setup? Or we always invite it? This group of people, or or we always only reach this community. Maybe God is saying, well, there's other communities I want you to reach in this way. And so I'll, I'll leave you with the final thought and we're done for the night. And if you don't take anything else from this, you can take this with you. And that is we, we can do more and be more effective if we don't put God in the box. If we don't put God in the box and his ways in the box, the fresh new thing that he wants to do in us and through us. He wants us to be a conduit. He wants, to, he wants these blessings to flow through us. And if we want to confine him, then we're not going to be as effective as we could be. We're not going to reach the people that we could reach. We're not going to reach the potential that we could reach, whether it's as a church, as a family, or as an individual. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the fresh work that I see right now in the body of Christ. Lord, the creativity with the live streams and the various ways people are meeting through Zoom. Never even heard of Zoom, Lord, until a few weeks ago. Lord, they, they cannot stifle your word. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing, God. Some, some people have, even right now, experienced just a, a, a fresh new thing with you uh, relationally. Maybe they only read their Bibles once a week, but now there's some people who had more time at home. And now they're spending more time in the, in the word with you three times a day. That's a fresh new thing you've done in some people's lives. And maybe some people, some believers would not open up their mouths, were too afraid to open up their mouths to talk about Jesus. But right now you opening up many opportunities for us to share Christ with, with people who are walking around fearful or hopeless. 
So right now we even see you doing a fresh new thing, Lord. Help us to be flexible. Help us to not put what you're trying to do within our old ways and confine what you're trying to do and put you in the box. And I pray for those who are being used in a mighty way by you right now. Lord, may you continue to use them for your glory. May you bless my brothers and sisters right now who are listening on Facebook Live. Maybe they're viewing the recording or listening to the audio later on. Those who are in this room, those who are on this campus, perhaps in another building, I pray that you bless them the remainder of this night. Use them throughout the remainder of this week for your glory. Oh, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If there's anybody maybe listening online, um, you've never received Christ, just want to give you that opportunity to make him your personal Savior and Lord. And so, again, if you, only if you mean it, if you mean it, I ask you to repeat after me, in this prayer. Because the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus, and if we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. And so if you're ready, I'm ready to pray with you. God, I heard that you love me so much That you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me. And I receive Jesus as my Savior. And I ask your Holy Spirit. To come and indwell me. And help me to live the life that you want me to live. Help me to live the new life. And thank you for allowing me and receiving me as your son your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer and you mean it, welcome to the family of God. If you don't have a Bible, we'll be more than happy to send one to you. So go to calvaryqueencreek.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page, type in your information. It's really quick and, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. So thank you once again for joining us. Thank all of you in the room for for joining us tonight. God bless you. May God keep you. And praise God. We have our worship team back up here. And they're going to lead us in the song and not me. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.